there. I'm Pat Spaulding. Happy to be here with two storytelling guests, Andy Davis and Sharon Jones. Hello. <laughs> and rather than making it complicated for myself, I think I'll have each of them introduce themselves. Um, just say a little bit about your background, what brought you here to tell a story this evening, and then we'll we'll do a little Q&A and conversation about storytelling and experience. Um, Sharon, why don't you start? Oh, I'm going to start. Huh? Why don't you start? <laughs> I'm going to pick you. I think I, what brought me into storytelling, actually, uh, probably was you, Pat. What? Yeah. And I, I watched uh, you tell a few stories and... I said, gee, that, that looks pretty interesting. I got a few things to say. I guess. <laughs> Maybe I'll start doing that. So, and, and I think that um, listening to the, the lady that we played prior to our storytelling tonight, uh, what, what is her name again? Nobody oh, remembers her name. Yes, the one that has... The, um, the southern accent. The one that one we were just we, trying to remember. Right. Well, she said that uh, Hunt is a hunt, Hunter a hunt. She said that um, everyone has a story, and I and I believe Catherine that. Tucker Wyndham. Thank Catherine you, thank Tucker you, Wyndham. And we do <laughs> all have stories. We, um, I think, all of us have uh, have stories, and we probably uh, to get up and tell it, tell the story is something different. Um, I get very nervous just before I do any type of performance, and uh, to the point where I don't. I don't want to um, be close to anyone or have to say anything to. Right, because we actually usually um, have all the storytellers sit up front. Right. So Sharon came in and said, no, no, no. no I'm, I'm not going up gonna there. going to sit in the back. So we yeah. yeah <laughs> and prepare. Yeah. And kind of relax a little bit. Because I think you, you can also be um, uh, affected uh, by the person that goes on before you. Oh yeah, uh, just like another singer that goes on before me. I try not, if, if there's some type of a competition or something that we're all doing the same night, I try not to um, be in the same room while, because you are affected by it. You start right, wanting to change things around. Like and, well, tonight, um, we had Andy come first. So Andy, you got a chance to set the tone, actually. <laughs> How do you feel about being the first in the lineup? I, uh, I guess I I don't have a strong feeling one way or another. About really? It. I I do. I I guess when I see I'm first, I do have a moment where I say, "Oh, I'm going first. Uh, but then once I get about five words into my story, I, I could be anywhere in the lineup. Okay, and just I'm just I'm just there for. Uh, hoping I do justice by the story, and hoping to give it to, in a in a creditable way to the audience. And I um, put you at the end, so you had to close it. You had to yeah, bring it around. Yeah, being being a closer is um, a little bit different. Kind of like selling real estate. Sometimes people change their mind at the last minute. You know, but but <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you had a real deal, and you didn't have one at all. And I find that, uh, I'm going to tell you what, one of the things that affects me a whole lot when I'm, uh, all these years that I've been performing, and I've had to be careful about how I express this, because it's not calling me a diva. 
And I don't want to be referred to as a diva. But I think um, lighting and all of the surroundings has a lot to do with how you're going to be able to put that song across or that story across. It, there's too much action going around. Mm -hmm. going on. um, you know, if, if things aren't... <laughs> I don't know how to put this. Accurate, Focused but, on yeah, if, if you? That, yeah, if the room isn't really set up to, um, for the purpose that you're there. And my father used to say this. He used to say, when you invite people to a dinner party at your house, set the house up, the lighting, the music, every, have everything ready so when they walk into that room, the first thing they want to do is stay there. And make themselves comfortable. And make themselves comfortable. That's right. pretty amazing. For, yeah. I have noticed when I fir first did uh, first-person experience storytelling back in the 80s, um, and there wasn't the moth, and then people weren't doing this much. There's a lot more uh, of it around now. Mm -hmm. um, I had to experiment with venues, and um, if there was a focused venue where people were there to hear a story, it worked, which is basically small theater. But I would, sometimes I went to um, bars and um, just because you'd be in entertainment like at the bar. Mm -hmm. the Once in a while it worked, but mostly it didn't work because the, the um, let's see, one of my storytellers teachers said, the main drama at a bar is the bar. Right. I mean, it's, it's what the people mm -hmm. are doing around the bar. They're not there to listen. So when you're Sharon is, um, as a musician, you um, can play that a little bit because you, you can play music and people can be... Doing what they do and you're still yeah. just playing the music, right. Right, but you can't tell a story and have that kind of audience. Um, no, especially if they've had a couple of beers. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> then they want to get on stage with you. Have, have you um, had experience in venues that just didn't work, Andy? Yeah, I, I used to, um, for a few years, I experimented with telling at a ski area near, near me. And I mainly did it for the season ticket. So I was able to put up with a lot because I was, I was getting my, my season pass out of it. Um, but the, the first time um, they put me First of all, they thought of it as um, primarily for kids, and I was hoping to reach a broader audience. So first they put me in this play area for kids that had like a giant penguin in it, which might tell you which ski area it was at. And uh, worse than that, there were two entrances. It was basically a hallway. So the whole time I was telling, people were going by. So I said, the next time I did it, I said, all right, we, we need to craft a space a little better. I, I need to be able to count on my audience staying with me and not changing a lot. So they put me in a yoga studio, and the whole back wall was a giant mirror. So as I was telling, <laughs> I was looking at myself the whole time. And that was a little frightening. So. Uh, 
So, and also, um, it was kind of a yoga studio that was for people who were very spiritually advanced and could find a place that was really difficult to find. So there weren't many spiritually advanced people in that area, so not many people found me. So I was very lonely looking at myself in that big mirror. Wow. So the third time, I said, come on, can we do something a little different between like the kiddie play area and the yoga studio? So they put me in the middle of the pub. Oh, and again, okay. they decided that it was only for kids, even though I had a set that was kind of aimed at, at uh, anybody from about 8 to 88 or something. Not to exclude you, Dad. <laughs> and uh, so, so the adults pushed all the kids forward. So at oh, the foot oh of the stage, there's all these kids sitting there. And then the parents are getting hammered in the back right. and having these very <laughs> raucous conversations. So I, I managed to find one person about as far away from me as Steve here. And I just told to Steve. And that kind of worked. And I think it worked for me and it worked for the Steve-like person. But well, That's uh, a good idea anyway. Yeah. Just, just, just focus in on, on uh, one, one person. And that way, I, I believe, when I first started entertaining, I just looked at one person, because if I looked at the whole audience, I just passed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you, in your jazz singing, or you're usually with a Other, trio or right, a larger right. group, so yeah. it's not so much on your own. Right, and that's very comforting. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I've seen... Uh, Entertainers go out there like a, a person just plays guitar and he's by himself and he's singing all by himself, you know, and people dropping money in his guitar case and, and the more they drink, the richer he gets because they don't have a clue until they get home the next morning that they threw all the money to the guitar player. You know, so but that's a pretty good deal. I should learn how to play guitar. Yeah. Or we need story cases that we we, we come right. in, we put our story case down in front so they have somewhere to throw all the money. Throw all the money, yeah, and there won't be anybody in here. Sharon, you said this. You had a lot of musicians in the family, right? You said you... Yeah, my brother get, get Tommy was a musician and played bass and sang. My brother Roy, blues singer. My sister Jean, jazz singer. Lucy, jazz singer. But that was about it. A lot were, of people, your, were your parents? My mother played piano, very, but she liked classical music, you know, and my father played bass and trombone occasionally, but not a, not a whole lot. Your family must have been extremely organized. I'm trying to picture all... That's really exceptional because yeah. you, there's not a lot of black families in Portsmouth in... Right. 50s, and you inhabit this 30-room house, you said. Yeah, I think it was, it, it might have been 30, it might have been maybe 25. And know. every, <laughs> okay, give or take a few rooms. It, it's really extraordinary. It is. I can remember um, Christmas time, my father and my brothers would go out and cut down a tree. They had to they had to the, the, the rent a crane to bring it in the house because the, <laughs> the tree was so enormous. I I would always say, 
why did they bring that tree in here? We'll never get it out of here. Are you here, sure you know? that one's just because you were a little kid? No, it was no, the tree was huge. And I used to always stand there looking, why did they bring a tree in? It was like, you know how when the hurricanes came through and it blew down the tree and all the roots came up? That's what that tree looked like. So. How'd they get it to I stay in place? It I don't wasn't know. your problem. Well, once it yeah. was trimmed and everything was on it, you know, it looked beautiful. So with a sense of home that you have, um, you did want to travel at a certain point. You left home. And Andy, is New Hampshire your roots? Is, is this, these are your roots? Yeah, so, I was born in Rochester when I, when I was small. Yeah, okay. my, my father was working for Gene Summersworth. So, so yeah, that's where we started out. But then we moved around a lot. My, my father kept trying different jobs. So we, uh, we moved around New England and New York, but I circled back to New Hampshire. Yeah, we come back home. How long were you away from home? And what? Um, Seven to Los Angeles, like Chicago, New York. I lived on the Cape for, the Cape was a nightmare. I don't know how, I don't know why we didn't get killed down there, really. Why? Well, because we, it, it, it was just a party area, and we were young, and we had a group, and, and we thought we were the Supremes, you know? Oh. And there were four of us, two sisters, my sister Karen and I, and my two nieces, Sheila and Yvonne. And we, you know, we had a manager, and we, were, we had all the clothes, and... What, and what years were that? That was, um, I think it was like 68 to maybe 72. Yeah, okay. yeah, we were traveling a lot. Well, good music around then. Yeah, it was. It was, mm -hmm. fab it was fabulous music. And I was the band leader at the time, and I was the singer, the, the lead singer at the time. But I was the, the only one really, I think, serious about really doing that. I, I think they would say, gee, how long is she going to? I hope this wears off so she'll stop dragging us along. <laughs> Were your parents approving of that? They They're not really. That? They no. didn't. They weren't real excited about that. So I was curious, if Andy, when um, you were probably pretty young at that time. I mean, well, what are we talking? Late sixties, seventies? Are you, are you going off? When did you start going on your adventures to foreign countries and doing? Um. So I graduated from high school in 79. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, so then I started um, uh, enrolling in universities and then dropping out of them and going off to travel. And then uh, signing up for another college and then going off to travel. So, yeah, for pretty much through the 80s, I was working to travel. And, and then finally, um, Long about '89, uh, I was traveling on second-class trains and hitchhiking through Central America, wow. um, and uh, I realized that the next time that I went, I wanted to go there with the purpose to do something positive. So I knew my Spanish had to be up to snuff, so I devoted myself to working on that. And so in '91. I went back to work for a few years, primarily in Guatemala, and uh, primarily um, working uh, as an organization that was um, one of the ones trying to respond 
to the Guatemalan refugees who had been driven into Mexico um, by the by the counterinsurgency war. So uh, one of the refugees' demands in order to come back was the right to um, international accompaniment to make it less likely that the army would come into their communities again. So working in refugee camps, in a way, was a place where I saw uh, uh, an oral tradition that was still living. and. Uh, it was also where uh, there was no electricity, there, there was no television, and so we sat by the dim fire at night and told each other stories, which for me started out primarily being jokes. I, so, so people got to know me as Andres El Chistoso, Andy the Funny Guy, and because uh, uh, I, back when I was in my 20s and early 30s, my memory could contain a vast trove of jokes. Wow, those were the days. Yeah, and now I tried to tell a joke, and I can tell about three in a row, and then I wonder where they are. That's because went. your mind is all full of stories now. Well, that's yeah. the so, hope. so that is yeah. the, that's where you got your beginning in storytelling. Um, got to push the delete button. <laughs> And some of it. you got your beginning in storytelling because of Pat Spaulding. Yeah, I no. oh, actually, you're, yeah. No, you're you're a natural performer. I mean, you are a performer, and um, so when you are doing the music, you do a little bit of a rap about what's yeah, going on. Yeah, I with do talking in between, but you yeah. see, you got the protection of those musicians around you. Yeah, you know, and if something's not funny that you said, there, they laugh anyway. You know. Keep it in they cue the audience. Keep it this in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do. Yeah, I'm more comfortable doing it in that type of vein for some reason. You know, this is nice, and I and I and I'm I'd like to get a lot more comfortable with this, but it is different. I don't think we're winding up our our time here, but I don't think personally that. It ever is comfortable. It's rewarding. I mean, I'd like to hear otherwise if you feel differently, but when I gear up for a story, the focus is so strong. You, you go to another place, or I go to another place. You see the, the pictures that you're bringing the audience into, and you have to go there yourself. You have to be totally focused. And to prepare to go to that place, to bring the audience in, to tell the story, um, it means I have to set other stuff aside all day or all week. Or yeah. it's a lot of work. Touring. I don't think I'm too old to tour anymore. So I don't think you ever will get comfortable. But when the audience appreciates it, it really feels good, right? It does feel good. Yeah, it does feel good when the audience appreciates it. But you're always very conscious of the fact that there's just you up here trying to tell them something. And, and I'm taking it all in, and I'm watching the expression. When you're singing, you can just change the tempo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 when you're telling a story, I mean, you gotta land that story on its feet. Well, thanks both of you for talking. I'm um, not a very relaxed interviewer because this is totally new for me. So. Well, I think you're wonderful. 
Well, of course, we have a mutual appreciation. We all think each other is wonderful. We, we think you're wonderful. Why, why should we not? No, we'll, we'll keep that going. <laughs> so thanks to Andy Davis and Sharon Jones. My pleasure. Storytellers tonight. And so we turn the better, better moments. More moments, not more. Yeah. More. Great. Thanks, thanks Pat. Thank, thank you. Sharon. Thank you for having me. Drew Tales Live on PPM-TV is made possible through the generous support of Artists Collaborative Theatre of New England, Act One, presenting outstanding performances of Stories with Heart at the West End Studio Theatre in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. For further information, contact 603-300-2986 or on the web at act1nh.org. With additional support from Pat Spaulding, who really wants to know, hey, what's your story?